welcome to episode 330 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Salosi, and this is the final episode of Metroidvania Month, our celebration of that very specific kind of RPG-adjacent action-adventure game that uh, that started with Metroid in the 1980s, which is why we recorded the Super Metroid episode a little while ago, and continued in the 1990s with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which is where that second half of the uh, portmanteau comes from, and also why we recorded a Castlevania Aria of Sorrow episode a couple weeks ago. So, uh, before we g- continue that discussion and analysis, let's introduce the panelists I have here to talk about Salt and Sanctuary, another Metroidvania game that bring some other influences into the table. Uh, the panelists are Jono Logan. Hello, everyone. And Tina Ola. Hi. So, uh, Jono, Tina, Salt and Sanctuary. Um, when we were picking a third game for Metroidvania Month, we specifically wanted to do an indie Metroidvania game of the 2010s. Because, uh, again, Metroid has been popular for decades. Castlevania sort of uh, reinvented itself with that uh, Metroidvania format, starting with Symphony of the Night and then continuing with several GBA and DS and other games in the 2000s, and that sort of that genre mashup, or well, it's not really a mashup. That that sort of specific kind of game was so popular among indie developers that there was an unusual number of indie Metroidvania games of various styles and qualities in the 2010s, and uh, a lot of them I really like. Like I'm, a, I'm a, I enjoyed Dust and Elysian Tale. I enjoy. I'm a big fan of Time Spinner. That one might be my favorite of the bunch. It's really good. Yeah, Time Spinner is great. Uh, the, there's a Valdis Abyssal Story. There's there's a bunch, and I we could, I could list them over. I could find a list and just recite it, but I won't. Uh, we decided to. I think maybe because we were just interested in the look of the game, we decided to make Salt and Sanctuary our indie Metroidvania of choice for this month. And uh, uh, I, I will say that I, um, I, I knew this game had, an, had a specific influence besides Metroidvania, and, but I didn't realize exactly how much more it was of that. Uh, it, Salt and Sanctuary is heavily inspired by uh, Souls-likes, and by, by which I mean the, um, uh, mostly games from, soft, from, from, from software, <laughs> starting with Demon's Souls, continuing with three Dark Souls games, as well as Bloodborne, Sekiro, and most uh, recently Elden Ring. Um, Salt and Sanctuary ha- has a lot of Souls influence, and it might be more Souls than Metroidvania, I think. Uh, so, uh, separate from your feelings of the game, um, uh, starting with you, Tina, what was your sort of overall impression of Salt and Sanctuary, and what do you think about the Metroidvania parts and Souls parts? Just, just briefly, a bridge version. So I thought it was very difficult, but I enjoyed it. Like I still haven't finished it, but I want to keep going. I really like the lore. I like the the setting. Um, I've never played a Souls game before, so this was kind of interesting. I have played another game before where it has that system where you, you lose all your experience when you get killed. It's called Dandara, but it, it was more like an action game, not it didn't have so many RPG elements. So this was pretty unique. Um, it didn't feel too much like a Metroidvania to me. And I think one of the reasons it didn't have a map. Yes, maybe my number one problem with the game was the lack of a map. I, I found that n- not completely maddening, but there were many points where I wish I could have just pressed a button to look at the map, um, But uh, which Sultan Sanctuary denies you. Uh, I also have never played a Souls game, or I should say... I have not made any meaningful progress in a Souls game. I played Demon Souls for the PS3 many, many years ago, beat the first boss, and that was as far as I got. 
which I that game has I think probably tw- more than twenty bosses, so that, that I did not make it far. But I've never really put hard time into a Souls game, and I think Salt and Sanctuary really is a two D Souls game dressed as a Metroidvania game, and uh, it's it's again more Souls than Metroidvania. And but Jono, similar question, like what was your overall impression of Salt and Sanctuary, uh, and and it's Metroidvania elements versus its Souls elements. Yeah, it has many of the uh, Metroidvania, I guess, conventions of the genre. So it has a, a large interconnected world with sections that are easily connected to each other. Uh, progression is often locked behind uh, item upgrades, or in this case, brands, um, that they brand you with to give you the uh, the special abilities like wall jumps or a sort of double jump. Um, and with those, you can explore different areas and you can go back and revisit old areas and find, uh, new places and new items and things like that using these new abilities. So that's very, very Metroidvania. Um, I would say that it's pulling much more from the Vania part of the, uh, portmanteau, um, than the Metroid part. And obviously by pulling in, I mean, there's been a lot of souls, uh, influence going into a lot of metroidvanias in the last couple of years for example well obviously this game salt and sanctuary uh hollow knight is like tough as nails uh bosses and the same thing like when you die you have to go back to where you where you die to get your uh get your uh currency and stuff and if you if you die before then it's lost forever um same thing with uh Oh, what's the game i'm blanking on the name of the game but it, my, my point is that souls like has really uh gotten in there and for good reason. I mean, Souls like the challenge level, the having to learn boss patterns, uh, dying repeatedly, being part of the game, not punishment, in, like ideally not punishment. Um, and you just having to accept that and move on without getting super, super frustrated. Yeah, that's pretty Souls-like. So yeah, this game has a lot of Metroidvania elements, uh, a lot of Souls, and I am in complete agreement. The lack of the map was... Um, it, tricky in places. I feel it, it for me. It it made the world less feel less interconnected because I couldn't see how it was connected. Like it, it, I would have to keep the map in my head rather than being able to click to a map and say, okay, this area goes into this area. This area goes into this area. I would have liked that, but it's that's just stylistically part of what the game was going for, I guess. And it, the game helps that a little bit by making stone guides very abundant, so it's not that hard to fast travel between the the different save points, which are called sanctuaries. Uh, we'll go into sanctuaries more in a bit, but uh, you're right. This is this game has the soul's spirit of of uh, um, like picking up, um, going to the point where you died to to reclaim your lost uh, experience or resources and image. And this is mostly salt. And, uh, and, and by having like, by having sort of boss battles focused on pattern recognition and, and defensive strategy as just as much as offensive strategy, but, and having them, but, but like giving a feeling of risk to both exploring and boss fights is, is very souls. I associate the going and finding your remains to reclaim your resources thing. I associate that with Diablo two for the most part, <laughs> which is, which is definitely something that they did in uh, 2000, 2001 when that was, when that was, uh, when that was hot, but it's become a characteristic of the souls games um, starting with demon souls and from software sort of used to be a really weird niche uh, 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 developer of action games of stuff like Kingsfield 
and uh, 3D Dot Game Heroes, which is a game I like a lot. There's a lot of Zelda and Dragon Quest in, in 3D Dot Game Heroes. Yeah, it's a game I've always wanted to play, but I've never been able to because I don't have a PlayStation 3 and they've never re-released it on anything. Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. I, I still have my PlayStation 3. It's not on the it's not on the it doesn't have the spot of honor on my living room anymore. It, it's relegated to my basement and old consoles, but I do have that game. It's 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 an interesting one. Um, but it, it's it's like it, it's like what if you wanted to play Zelda one and they put in some Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy imagery in there and also gave you a sword that was four times longer than you is kind of the vibe of that thing. Um, uh, but like like you upgrade your sword by increasing the number of pixels in it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but they've become the Souls developer since two thousand nine and have have gotten hugely popular to which point Elden Ring, their most recent and possibly best game yet has become a mega hit. But we're not here to talk about Elden Ring or From Software. We're here to talk about Salt and Sanctuary, which is not made by From Software. It's made by uh oh shoot, what uh what Ska? Are they? Yeah, Ska Studios, uh which is uh oh I'll find it, I'll find it, I'll find it. And I know that I know they weren't um they, they were surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Which is a Seattle based studio that uh that that um, has has mostly made um, uh, games for the Xbox Live Arcade. They they made a they made a couple uh, s- sort of un- unusual um, uh, uh, unusual stylized uh, action ga- action games, uh, mostly themed around the undead. Uh, but this is sort of their their most ambitious game yet, and um, and it's their first release outside of just the Xbox environment. I think they they made a. Like they, they were sort of an XBLA indie studio, but now Salt and Sanctuary was a big hit, and their uh their Salt and Sanctuary Salt and Sanctuary is getting a sequel of sorts called Salt and Sacrifice coming out later this year. But uh yeah, I think I think I was mixing them up with another studio because I thought they, I thought they weren't American for a second, but I was I was wrong about that. Um, I, I should say my impression really was uh really was negative, and then it switched to positive. I died a lot against the first couple of bosses. But then something clicked, and the game became much more fun and easy for me. But I was a little bit surprised at how less Metroidvania and more Souls this game was. Uh, again, uh, th- there's there's things like um, l- like the poise system. Uh, there, there's a poise stat, and uh, it which determines how easy it is to knock you over. Is that balance? Poise stat doesn't. No, balance and, and poise are di- like uh, poise is. I think balance is um is is based on on how unwieldy your weapon is, oh. and poise is how easy or hard it is for you to be knocked over. And uh-huh. the, the two stats interact a little bit. And if the enemy has low poise, and you and you have a weapon that's good at knocking back, you can really beat like ha- have enemies go flying. And uh, and it, and it and it affects. I think your. I think it also affects your speed to a degree. So, like po- the poise stat, and also how poorly explained it is, is a characteristic of the Souls games. Like like I've only heard of a poise stat in RPGs because of Souls, and seeing yeah. it here, and knowing that this had Souls influence, like oh, they are if not straight ripping off, uh, definitely directly importing um, some gameplay concepts from Souls, and. Uh, let's get into the beginning of the game. At the very start, um, you're a sailor on a ship that's escorting a princess to a faraway land, and they have you choose, uh, design your own little cartoon character with a lot of uh, options for things like uh, le- like uh, facial features and hair color. But also, you choose a class which determines your starting uh, equipment and your um, 
and your starting place on the skill tree. But it, it's you can find all of the equipment from every class in throughout the game without that much difficulty. So if your, your starting class will definitely affect how you approach the first couple levels of the game, but by the end, I I mean I was wearing more chef armor than knight armor by the or uh, more chef armor than paladin armor by the end, even though I started out as a paladin. It's more um, of a head start than anything. Yes, it, it's it's a, it's a head start but far from character defining. Uh, so, and then on, on the ship, on the ship, you, uh, uh, you're, um, you're raided by monsters from the deep. You fight a couple zombie like things, and then you probably lose a battle against a giant sea monster. You, you can win that battle and it gives you a special trophy, but I sure, I sure as hell didn't do that. Um, or didn't manage that. And then, uh, and, and then you're shipwrecked on a mysterious Island and navigating the Island to escape it is the whole, uh, just to salt and sanctuary so um, gotta find the princess yeah exactly uh and spoiler alert you don't find the princess and i'm not even sure there ever was a princess but uh uh, uh starting with you jana what was your starting class choice and your early impressions of like say the ship in the first couple areas uh i started the game about i don't know a little over maybe two two months ago because we knew we were doing this a while ago uh and i think i created a i think i was going for like a a, a paladin and I, I bounced off it hard and then I went shut down for a little while and then I went back into it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with a knight, uh, very basic, good old fashioned knight. So I get like a baseline experience. Um, so I created a knight and kind of went down that path um, very quickly discovering that heavy armor sucks. Heavy armor is not a great idea for this game, in my opinion, um, because it, do, it does not... Uh, rolling is if you cannot roll quickly, you are probably going to die a lot more than you should. So having yourself weighed down, as I understand it, many, uh, players, uh, more advanced players, the game basically have their characters be completely naked, just like wearing a loincloth the entire game, just so they can increase their, uh, speed and their, their rolling and stuff like that. That's where I started, but that's not where I ended. I, I, uh, (laughs) I almost did that. By uh, for parts of the game, I would go through the entire game only wearing the blacksmith gloves mm-hmm. and nothing else because the blacksmith gloves give you plus three strength, which are which is pretty good and are very white lightweight. But um, I made a similar discovery to you. I tried to play the beginning of the game as a heavy armored warrior. I, again, I picked the paladin class, and they give you a shield, a mace, and heavy armor. But rolling and fat and moving quickly is so valuable. And the heavier your armor is, the, the worse your roll is and the slower you move was awful. So uh, for a while, I only wore blacksmith gloves. But then by, by the end game, I increased my endurance stat enough that I was able to equip some armor. So by the end of the game, I was wearing very, very light armor. It would be like blacksmith gloves, raptor boots, uh, raptor chest piece. And my head would either be uh, no equipment at all or the yokai mask, which I just thought looked cool. Uh but that's an important realization. It like movement and dodging is very important in this game, and you what you to accomplish that you need armor that weighs uh, less than fifty percent of your encumbrance stat. And encumbrance increases with in, when you put points into endurance, your encumbrance increases, which I know is a, a lot of stats at once. So like, hmm. um, if it's if it's between twenty five and fifty percent, you have okay movement and a pretty good roll. And if it's under twenty five percent, which is when I which is when I strip naked down to the down to my blacksmith gloves, uh, you have a very long, fast roll and very good movement. So I, I was able to keep my encumbrance at around thirty percent most of the time. But sometimes to get it under twenty five by the end game, I would remove the I would remove like my mask and boots just to get the best roll possible. Uh, 
and uh, but but and that was if I had a weapon that was on the light side. Some heavy weapons I I had to go down to blacksmith gloves if I wanted the good roll at all. But that uh, that mantra that you said before is correct. Heavy armor sucks. Don't go for a heavy armor build like I did. Uh, maybe just a weapon and shield is pretty good because even though shields are very heavy, you can just block your way through the entire game if you have a good willpower stat and a good endurance stat. Will willpower determines your stamina and like every move every action in this game from blocking to dodging to attacking requires stamina so having a ton of stamina and a good shield can get you through the game having a good weapon and a good nice dodge roll can get you through the game but heavy but but trying to do either of those with full heavy armor is an awful idea yeah agreed um this game is much more i find that a lot of rpg a lot of uh metroidvanias with rpg elements yeah, your, your stats matter, um, but they don't necessarily change the way you play the game. This In this case, it is very much, it's a hardcore RPG. Like, you have to have character builds in mind, uh, armor in mind, equipment in mind, that will directly affect your stats. And if you're not doing that, you're going to get totaled. But if you can manage your stats properly and, you know, build up certain areas, and obviously while leveling up, uh, selecting specific skills for the type of build that you want... Uh, that's how you're going to survive. So just trying to randomly level up constantly and not really paying attention to where you're putting your uh, skill points, it's it's sure death. Yeah, doing some uh, pre-research into how you want to approach the game is very, very valuable. Doing some pre-research anyway is a good idea for this game because it doesn't tell you a damn thing. Yeah, because going in, I decided I wanted to be like, oh, uh, I wanted a two-hand weapon when I wanted to deal damage and switch to a shield if I needed to block, and I'll be a heavy-armored knight. And that was just a horrible idea. <laughs> what you do is you should pick one of the three damage stats, which are strength, dexterity, and magic, and put a lot of points into that, whether you want to be you know, like a, a fast fighter, a, a, a big two-handed or shield fighter or a mage. And then once you have... Your damage set, just put a bunch of points into endurance, willpower, and wisdom, so you have a good, so you have good encumbrance, uh, good stamina recovery, and good magic and good focus recovery. Focus is like stamina, but for spells um, or or prayers. There's magic spells which are you know you throw out uh, you you throw out magic stuff to deal damage, and prayers are like magic, but they are more focused on the self, like self strengthening or healing or th- uh, things like that, and. There's a whole there's a, a starting classes that focus on magic and prayer and the whole systems regarding to those. But uh, 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 Jono or Tina, guess how many spells and prayers I cast through the entire game? Zero. Correct. If you're anything like me, yeah, zero. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a warrior from the beginning. I did not cast a single spell or prayer. I put all of my points into strength, or I should say, like almost an even. It was probably like one quarter strength, one quarter willpower, fifty percent endurance by the end. Because by the end, I cared only about getting my encumbrance down so I could roll better. And I was, uh, I will, once I sort of figured out what I wanted to do, I did keep shields around in case I needed them, but I ended up not needing them. It was either, uh, if the enemy was weak against strike damage, I would hit him with a hammer. If the enemy was weak against slash damage, I would hit him with a sword or my giant scissors and just switch between those uh, two-handed warrior for the whole game. And it it, it was pretty satisfying, but... the the process of figuring out that's what I wanted to do and that was a decent choice was a little bit rough. Um, To give you, the game has, I think, about 25 bosses. I didn't fight all of them, but I fought most of them. Let's say I fought 20. Uh, I think I died probably 30 times against the first five bosses 
and then only a couple times against the last 15 because I like it was a complete uh, it was a real moment for me figuring out how to play and what I wanted to do and then the rest became so much easier uh because like going out going but going into the game as Jono said without much of a direction or an idea or, or or what exactly the stats do could be a recipe for disaster if you try to put points into stats uh that aren't that that uh don't fit your build or semi-randomly is is, is just a it's just a bad idea but again I, I, it's not a great look that you recommend to read about a game before playing it but i think this the assault and sanctuary and maybe a lot of other souls like games uh do benefit from that uh, but but um but uh, Tina, what was your uh, what was your character build like and your ideas going in? Okay, similar story. I just started with a generic fighter, thinking, okay, I'm gonna wear all the heavy armor, use the big weapons. I didn't discover till maybe the third or fourth area how important it was to roll. So I wasn't doing that well against the bosses. After that point, my endurance was still pretty high, so I'm still wearing some of the heavy armor, but just enough that I could still do the normal roll. And I found that during the boss fights, I usually switch to all of the blacksmith stuff because it has such good fire protection. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. The blacksmith armor gives you plus three strength and good fire protection. And the chef armor gives you, I think, like one small stat bonus and it gives you huge poison protection. Yeah. So like for some early bosses that had a lot of fire or a lot of poison, I would use those full sets. But by the end, it was what I said before, like blacksmith gloves, raptor body and uh, yokai mask yeah a couple things that i noticed about the character creation though they didn't explain what those bonus items do they hardly explain anything yeah like i still haven't used it i think it was one of the crystal things to change the the creed of a sanctuary or something like that and i don't know if um the country you choose to come from has any kind of impact on the game at all i don't think it does no it i i didn't notice a single they meant there's lore around it like if you look at item descriptions they'll mention things coming from specific countries and some of the npcs you you meet which aren't and there aren't a ton of them mention uh even mention like lore about uh about political struggles and wars between the different countries but they they give you like 12 countries to choose from at the beginning for your character origin and i don't think it matters i think it just affects the color of your skin maybe yeah yeah uh, that's what i'm thinking maybe yeah i i i uh I'm not even. I, I remember I was part of the north part of the map, but I couldn't even name the country I was from. I mean, maybe it made me a little bit paler. But you you mentioned creeds and sanctuaries, Tina, and and, yeah. and that that is pretty important. Uh, like sanctuaries are sort of the these open safe rooms and uh, and save points that are scattered throughout the game. And creeds are one of I think there's seven or eight religious orders that you can unlock, and you you choose one at the beginning between three of the basic ones. But then you can find the other I think four throughout the game uh one of them the stone roots is really easy to find the other three are hidden um and basically picking a religion you can you, and you can change creeds without uh, uh without much difficulty but if you do that you you um the the your old creed that you abandoned won't like you anymore and you have to find the npc in the uh in in the wooded area south of the village of smiles and she can she can remove the sin from you so your old creed won't hate you anymore like there's a lot of weird specific nonsense in this game um and, and by the end i had i discovered that uh i really and and each creed has um different uh inventory in their shops uh different um uh spells that you can unlock different and different healing items and boosting items that you get by leveling up the creed you can level up the creed by doing quests from a creed leader or from someone that uh, from a from a stone leader statue, and again you find statues like a stone merchant, stone stone leader, stone guide, etc. 
to determine what shot, what merchants and what, uh, what people are populating each sanctuary. And by the end of the game, I was really, really coveting stone leaders, stone blacksmiths, and, uh, and stone guides, because again, guides help you facilitate tra fast travel, blacksmiths sell you equipment, and leaders give you salt bonuses in that zone and also let you upgrade the creed. So I was, I, I was really saving those for sanctuaries I really like. It's a nice little base building mechanic that they've kind of worked into it too, how yeah, every, it every sanctuary just kind of becomes its own base that you can customize with various uh, NPCs. Did, did uh, either of you have a um, particular creed that you sort of settled with? Uh, I was pretty much on the stone roots. I just like the the acorn <laughs> amused me. I just stuck with the, I don't remember what it was called, the one with the candles. Uh, the three, uh, the three. Yeah, yeah, the three is one of them, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, each of them has a starting item I think the three is like a menorah. The stone roots is a stone acorn. The iron ones is a uh, just oh, an orb. Know. Yeah, I think it's just like an just like an iron sphere. And um, the, the one that I settled on by the end was the house of splendor. And there, uh, theirs is a golden mask. Creepy looking golden mask too. Yeah, it's a creepy golden mask. But the house of splendor, um, their upgrade items, uh, their boosting item is a bottle of wine that increases your strength and defense by fifty percent. So I just. I was just swigging wine and swinging my giant warhammer for the entire second half of the game. I, I, I stuck with the House of Splendor. I know that there, there's one I didn't unlock called, uh, oh, I think, I, think, I think it's like the, the Order of Fire and Sky. And they, they sell you a bunch of really good lightning and fire spells based on the online research I did. In my research, it's uh, the Keepers of Fire and Sky, and then there's That's the Order of the Betrayer. Yeah, I did unlock Order of the Betrayer. To unlock Order of the, Order of the Betrayer, you have to basically desecrate a, one of your a sanctuary of a different order <laughs> by uh by, by basically just um by contaminating it with an item called a uh, i think it's I, th I think it's called like a, a a bloody page or a or, or or a dark page or something and you you basically you have to ruin someone else's sanctuary in order to unlock the the door to the order of the betrayer and i know the order of the betrayer has a really good merchant um and some good stuff but i, I didn't switch creeds to them i, I stuck with the uh uh, I, I stuck with the House of Splendor to the end because I already I had already leveled them up to max and I didn't, I didn't want to start from scratch with a new uh, with a new order. But uh, again, like 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 uh, finding empty sanctuaries and deciding what creed goes there and interacting with all the different creeds and up and upgrading uh, your existing one is it's a neat mechanic. Like Jono said, it's basically base building. Um, and that that's also rewarded by exploration and finding those those uh, little stone idols that that you can put up as offerings to decide what's in each sanctuary. And, and uh, I would have to remember, oh yeah, this sanctuary uh, is good because I have a merchant and an alchemist there, so I'll go there if I want to if I want to upgrade a weapon. But if I uh, but if I want to level up or if I want to uh, get more salt, I should go to this area because I have a because uh, I put one of the creed leaders there. Like uh, little elements like that made the basic navigation of the game a little more interesting but uh you know we've mentioned them a couple times that this game has very has pretty challenging boss fights and it's sort of driven by boss fights and almost um, basically every area because the game is sort of segmented into into zones or biomes like a lot of games like this ha has one or two bosses that are the major roadblocks and not all of them are story required there's a i i i noticed commentary when i was looking up stuff about this game that some there's ways to avoid even some of the earliest bosses but mostly this game is exploring zones punctuated by boss fights. Uh, what did you guys think of the bosses in this game? And do you have a favorite or least favorite? I think the bosses were probably my least favorite part of the game, just because they were too fast and hectic for me. And I found 
You know, with the potions, you drink them and then it takes a few seconds before you heal. Oh, yeah. With regular enemies, I could just roll away somewhere and heal. But with bosses, it's like the window of being able to do that is a lot smaller. So they just like hit me and I'd lose. But yeah, like you, you really got to think of a strategy, find their patterns. And usually in games like this, I'm just used to being really aggressive. So it was very different for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Focusing on evasion more than offense it yeah. helps with almost every boss fight. You really need to play the long game when you're attacking bosses in this game. If you just go in and like whack, 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 they're going to be dead. They're going to hit you. They're going to send you back, and that's going to be the end of it. I think my favorite, um, that Inquisitor in the dome was pretty easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, he was the one that had the, the big chain scythes. Yeah. The ironically named Untouched Inquisitor. Yeah, that, that one kind of surprised me because before that, some of the bosses right before it were really hard, and this one was like... Oh, that's it? Okay. I think my least favorite is right now I'm stuck on the, the husk, whatever it is, in the cave. Oh, yeah, the, the, the disemboweled husk. Yeah, he's just so fast, and that stupid fire attack, it like, knocks me out in one hit. I also didn't really like the dragon. Oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 I think the kraken worm. Yeah. yeah, the kraken worm, he's called in the castle. But I found that putting a blacksmith in that sanctuary, it really helped my strength against him so yeah i like the little bonuses you get from from putting those statues in the sanctuaries yeah i uh i i mentioned before i struggled mightily against the first four or five bosses the sodden knight is just a for a first boss whew. yeah especially if you if you have heavy armor and can't roll through him like i my roll was slow and short so i couldn't even roll from one side of the night to the other mm -hmm. and I, I eventually beat him by mostly using shield shield uh, tactics, which eventually worked, but I, I, I died against him a bunch of times. The boss that I struggled with the most was a couple after him, the Kraken Cyclops, which is... Oh, yeah. Uh, which is similar to the Sodden Knight in, in that it's a uh, it's a, you know, a human... It's very large and humanoid and mostly has just big hits with a with, with a sword, but I again, my rule wasn't good enough that I couldn't reliably get around the Cyclops, so I, uh, I, I got probably a little lucky when I finally beat him, but Right around the time of the Kraken Worm was when I'd figured out roll, hit, roll kind of strategies. And and also that's when I started using the boosting I at the beginning. I, I was a, uh, I think I was still with the Iron Ones at that point. Wait, no, no, I, I was with the Stone, uh, the, the, I was with the, st the Stone Roots at that point, where I approached every boss fight. Okay, here's a boss. I'm going to use my boosting item, which again was Golden Wine for when I was with the House of Splendor. Uh, I'll use my boosting item that adds an, a bunch of element damage or a bunch of extra damage to my weapon. Then I'll go in, try to hit them once, immediately roll through them or roll away from them, then get another one or two hits in, then roll away, let my stamina recover, get back in there. Uh, the, the moment of realization was, okay, the, the first thing was I needed to improve my dodge rolling and my encumbrance, and then approach... Now, you're, you're probably going to laugh at me because I talk about this series way too much already. I had to approach it like a Monster Hunter fight because Monster Hunter games, which I've been playing since 2008, have a long animation when you use a potion and have enemies that are always bigger and faster than you and you have to find openings and roll around a lot. And, and so like me realizing, oh, okay, and when I need to heal, I need to roll away and, and play keep away while they're attacking somewhere else in, 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 to be allowed to use a potion. Like, like, like just going in with the idea of of finding your openings and choosing your spots rather than go in swinging my giant hammer was very valuable to me. Like uh, again, first focusing on dodge rolling and, and encumbrance, then fighting bosses like monster hunter uh, uh, hunts. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, like starting with the Kraken Worm, I think I killed ninety percent of the remaining bosses on the first attempt because just because of you know my monster hunter instincts kicking in more than my mega man instincts kicking in i thought the game was very interesting in the way the bosses were handled it was really really weird just how some like for example uh, the first the sodden knight was just a nightmare but you know i got through it uh and uh i found the queen of smiles to be really easy uh, it took me like two or three times and i i you know got through her and then uh cyclops was very tricky mad alchemist was super tricky false jester i beat like instantly i don't know how it happened like i just it didn't it only took me one try i was like that was it my favorite boss in the game was that i uh i got to was the tree of men i liked the tree of men i thought i, I it was a nice change up from the usual dodge roll dodge roll dodge roll um with the platforms and things like that. I had fun. I actually genuinely had some fun playing that, uh, playing that uh, boss. In fact, the red, the red hall of cages was probably my favorite area in the game. God, the red hall of cages had the, uh, basically a giant torture chamber. I, I didn't like how vertical the red hall of cages were, was I, I died from fall like, damage. Yeah. From fall damage <laughs> from, from bad platforming at, at least twice. I don't know. But then the, the tree of men was a pretty cool boss. Again, again, like a giant torture device with the, with, undead corpses hanging from it and you have to kill the corpses on the, the the hanging bodies on either side of it in order to expose its head and then you can go for the head it, it was a much more it was almost like a zelda fight that had puzzle elements to it than most of the other bosses yeah it felt pretty different from the, the other bosses i like that one too i'm on the same page as tina about the disemboweled husk uh the disemboweled husk broke me um seriously broke me that was the moment where i was like no i'm I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. Uh, usually, we'll get into our takeaways from the game later, but I think that the point of a very, very hard game and very hard bosses like this, for example, um, is catharsis. You're supposed to be hitting the boss and like bouncing off the boss really, really hard. And then you learn the pattern slowly and surely, and you get some luck, and you get it down to a little bit. And then finally, you beat that boss that you may have been stuck on for a while, and you should feel a moment of catharsis. You should feel a moment of, oh, I did it, or something celebratory. When I finally beat the disembodied husk, I was I was just dreading continuing uh, and continuing to the next boss. It, it, it had the exact opposite feeling that it probably should have, um, not the least of which is Hagger's Cavern is a nightmare. The area yeah. where you uh, meet the disembodied husk and has some of the most annoying little enemies you could possibly imagine, including those skeletons the, dis the disappearing teleporting skeletons are were really annoying um the ones that bugged me the most were uh there, there's a version of them in the in the, in the sunken fortress where the kraken side collapses but then there's harder versions of them later where that they the ones that look kind of like alien xenomorphs yeah the ones who come down like the spot the uh, pillars yeah but they come down from the pillars or like sort of emerge from the background and they're really hard to see until they're already attacking you so I got ambushed by them. Uh, again, this is in an area later in the game called the, uh, uh, oh shoot, it was the, uh, it's, it's something ziggurat. Um, you know what I mean, Tina? Um, oh, those little kids in there. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, in the, in the basement half of the ziggurat, yeah. there's more. Yeah, I got ambushed too. <laughs> Yeah, they, 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 you would get ambushed them because because the lighting is a little poor, and they emerge from the background and are colored similarly from the background. Yeah. It's it, it's a little too easy to be surprised and killed in four hits by regular enemies, uh, or, or to get you know knocked out of a jump and then die from long fall damage. Um, I, I died more from long fall damage than from bosses overall <laughs> in this game. I, I, again, like in the second half, I, I I figured out 
dodge rolling well enough to, to kill a lot of bosses in the first try. I, I, I think it took me more than one try to kill the disemboweled husk. But he does have a tell before he fires his gun that does the long range fire attack. So I would just roll right when he was right when the gun was lighting up, and then I could get to the other side of him, whack him a couple times because he is slow to turn around, and then beat him that way. And but but I did think the platforming and the enemies leading up to the disemboweled husk were a little harder than he was. Also, the stu- <laughs> trying to get to the disemboweled husk is the was the most important part of that because there are only two. Uh, there are only two uh, sanctuaries. They're not even sanctuaries. They're like the mini sanctuaries. Oh yeah, the the, the shrines where you just where you just have a which is just a room with candles in it and no and no uh, uh, no NPCs. Yeah, there are two of them, and every single time you die to this thing, you have to go on like this little walk of shame back to him uh, with some of the most annoying enemies, including some of those skeletons. Um, I eventually realized that there was a minor shortcut uh with the sanctuary to the far right on the map uh if you did a long jump off the edge of that uh you could land and just it it was a straight shot straight onto the disemboweled husk but then again you have to face off with i think uh one of those big one of those big uh what i don't even know what they were called those guys that crawl and they look like pyramids yeah i i remember that because i i um one of them uh, those enemies drop an uncommon item that i needed later in the game called an endless skull. So I farmed skulls from those guys for part of the way in the second half of the game. Cause it's an, up, it was an upgrade item for one of the weapons I used the most. Yeah. But that, that walk of shame, uh, was another one of the reasons why the disemboweled uh, husk broke me just because every single time I lost to that stupid monster, I have to do this stupid walk that was not already not easy back to him again. Uh, and even worse, enemies can follow you into boss battles so if yeah. i didn't if i consciously didn't wipe out those the screaming girls uh there were two of them uh just before the boss battle and if, if i even caught the sight of one of them one of them would follow me into the boss battle and i wouldn't realize it until like midway through the boss battle when all of a sudden i'm like oh and now i have to dodge her stuff as well that's just great yeah that was one of my least favorite areas too i still didn't finish it i i went to the dome instead because you do some stuff through there instead and but oh i, re- I remember another thing um i was uh the, the what weapons were you using on the disemboweled husk uh, at that point i was using an upgraded uh shredded bulwark what, what, what kind of weapon is that i'm not sure I used it's it. a great sword okay all right so so you, you didn't run into the problem i did um the disemboweled husk is like 10 times stronger against strike damage than slash damage so the, i think the first time i died against him I barely did any damage using my warhammer that I've been using for most for ever since I found it. But then when I unlocked the great my great scissors in that very area, I, I, I managed to change my my kuremoa, which is definitely a Japanese transliteration of claymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I upgraded my my kuremoa to a uh, to to a great scissor, oh, he's strike da- uh, slash damage is way more against him I, I i killed him pretty quickly in just a, a couple of hits with the with the great scissors but um but, but again with like I, I, my vibe for the entire lat like middle third and final third of the game was switch between a strike weapon and a slash weapon and eventually i found uh, my favorite weapon in the game the castaways great ads which is half strike half half slash uh which i would use i would always use the great i would which it's it's an anchor I would use the castaway anchor um, basically for all regular enemies, but then for a boss, I would figure out whether it was weak against strike or slash and equip a weapon to fit that. But uh, again, it's just figuring out the tells and getting really good at dodging will kill 
get through everything in this game. And I've heard that the easiest build in the game is actually a magic one because finding the right spell allows you to play a long range game um, to, to kill everything at range. The, the, the boss I had the most trouble with by far is in the second half of the game. She, uh, I, I forget the name of the area she's in, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lake something like, like it's like Lake, Sylvan or Siam Lake. Siam, that's it. Siam. Siam. Oh, that's, Siam that's an I, yes. That's not a Yeah, yeah, L. yeah. Siam Lake, that was it. Um and and the boss is called the Witch of the Lake. And she has one move where she slaps you and it does not deal much damage, but it knocks you away. And then she has three or four moves that are basically long-range spells that hit you multiple times. Like she'll sh- like one's like she shoots like 10 dark arcane spears at you and then one where she there's like 20 little lightning sparks all at you at once. And she would kill me in one hit, no matter what armor I had on, with like one slap away comboed into a shotgun of lightning bolts and kill me instantly. It was infuriating. Like, I, And again, because I, I was fighting a, a close range kind of character, I was always trying to get near her, attack and roll, but then she could slap me away and then kill me in one spell. <laughs> it was It was awful. And right when I was... I hadn't hit a breaking point yet, but right when I was getting really frustrated, I did an attempt with her where she just didn't slap me and instead slowly cast spells and I could get behind her and attack her over and over and I won. It's, <laughs> it felt like it was, it was more dumb luck than strategy when I finally took her down. But, but uh, again, the, the, the boss strategies in this game, I, I think it helps to be a little flexible. If you try to fight every boss the same way, you will it will make it much harder on yourself but but because i always had a slash weapon and a strike weapon in reserve and be, uh that made a lot of bosses way easier and and uh and i also kept a shield in case i wanted to deal with that anymore but i didn't really use a shield in the second half of the game um like like having flexibility like i'll use my sword this time or my mace another time or i'll use a shield this, against this boss or a two-handed weapon against this boss having a little bit of build flexibility helps helps a lot i think because I, I again i was i was switching weapons all the time in the second half of the game when i found a couple weapons mm. can i hate on uh the disemboweled husk a little bit more uh, but please sure the, the left hand side of the screen uh has a has uh scenery in the foreground so if you get on the left-hand side of that screen, you are hidden and the boss is hidden. So it was real hard to see yourself or the boss. You've got to basically that whole battle, you have to keep to the right hand of the screen. I, I, I rolled through him to the left hand of the screen, but then when he turned around, I would just roll through him again. You could be over there, but you're not going to be able to see yourself or him. I, I was able to see him. Maybe, maybe I had a different angle of the screen than him. Because like, there, there is – when I rolled through him to the left side of the screen – I, I did my my character was definitely obscured, but I could still see him. Yeah, this game is. Uh, there's another thing about this game, which is the visual aspect of it. Like, I would argue that it has extraordinarily strong visual design. Like, it might not be to everyone's taste, but they knew what they wanted out of this game, and they went for it hard, and they created a very unique aesthetic which suits it. Um, you better hope that you have decent eyesight and that your monitor has HDR. Because uh, the contrast against the the light and the dark and the gray, it's it's a very brown grayish game. It's it's dimly lit. That is definitely true. Yeah, and not and, just because uh, of the uh, you occasionally need a torch in dark areas. Oh yeah, yeah. Equipping a torch, especially, and some skills only activate when you when you uh, wield a torch. Yeah, and um, if your weapon skill isn't high enough, uh, if you try to equip a two handed weapon in one hand. Sometimes it'll it'll encumber you like in- incredibly if you try to attack. Like uh, if, there's a whole thing like um, if your sword skill is four, 
then you can equip level f- four great swords, but only a level three great sword in one hand. So like it happened to me at least once. I had a, a level five axe, and 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 my axe skill was level five. But I, when I would open up a torch, which means I had the axe in one hand, and that means whenever I tried to attack with the axe while I was holding a torch, it would I, it would be laboriously slow, and an enemy would would attack me. But the, that's not really the point we're making here. Um, the game is dimly lit, very dark, a lot of uh, grays and browns and washed out colors. I mentioned earlier that some enemies emerge from the background and are very, very hard to see unless you're sort of expecting them or can detect their movement even though the colors are a little washed out. It's that it makes the game harder and uh, and the and the game is very bleak. Like this, it, the game is not a little nihilist, but also just a little defeatist. Uh, and 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 the and the enemy designs, especially the bosses, are just dark and sometimes grotesque. That you you got to be prepared for a little bit of gore and horror. And uh, it's cool that your weapon gets covered with blood as you as you kill more enemies. But that's like one of the tamer uh, visual choices in the game. It's uh, again, it's a visual choice, and it's part of the aesthetic that they were going for. And I would argue that it is very effective at creating. Uh, this island of island of pointlessness, this island of just death and nihilism. Um, not to my taste, but I get it. And uh, the pointlessness and nihilism is expressed by the a lot of the NPCs you meet. There aren't very many of, of these NPCs. Again, probably less than ten that have consequential dialogue. A couple of them give you a brand that let you that lets you do the air dash or the or one of the uh, the, the torch spells. Wall jump, uh, yeah, yeah. Wall wall jump is one of them, but but all of them are sort of uh, all of them sort of like are are part of this bleakness. Um, one of them is a thief that was trying to steal something. Uh, she was accompanying a, a merchant on the island. She decided to look for the treasure in the island when she realized that this island might be inescapable and doesn't have the treasure she was looking for. She decides to try and leave, but she doesn't know if she'll succeed. There's a character that's a knight who's looking for a quest, and every time you uh, every time you meet him, he he uh, he recognizes scenery and he doesn't really understand why, because uh, he recognizes the Dome of the Forgotten and the, the and Hagar's Cavern, I think. Is again, uh, but he's like, huh, that's weird. The pirate Hagar lived uh, hundreds of years ago, and this the Forgotten Dome is from thousands of years ago. Why are they both on the island? And he's just and he is a. Uh, He's basically on the island looking for adventure or 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 a or or someone or something to do. But when he he eventually finds a dead end, and he decided, you know what, I've given up. Here's an item. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait here for the rest of, uh, for the rest of my days. And and later in the game, uh, uh, maybe you didn't get to him, Jono, because this is pretty late. You meet a sorcerer who says that uh, he's like I I'm trying to find go through the depths of this island, but every time I die, I I wake up again. And I'm not, and by now I'm not sure how many times I've died and how many times I've woken up, and I'm I'm close to ready to give up. And 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 he makes the observation that he thinks all of the undead on the island are people that uh, eventually did give up and ran out and didn't have any salt, because again, like everything from leveling up to upgrading weapons, um, is is uh, is governed by salt. Uh, enemies drop salt all the time, so it's easy to get a lot of salt quickly. And and salt is the resource you recover when you die and and, re, and reclaim your lost salt from the enemy that killed you. Uh, what's the most amount of salt you lost at once? I'm curious. Uh, right after I beat the disemboweled husk, which also is one of the reasons that broke me, fall damage, and then I died getting back to it, and I lost like I think it was 
50,000. That's quite a bit. My, my amount, the most amount I ever, I ever lost was also right around there. It, it was a, probably around 45,000. And it also was right after a boss. I, uh, it, I, I, I thought I would be able to get to a sanctuary soon after the boss, but no, there was a new area. I, uh, I, I died to probably fall damage, but then couldn't reclaim it in time, lost 45,000 salt, a, a similar situation to that. But eventually, like I found a regular enemy later in the game that also dropped an item that I needed that would give me about 7,000 salt per kill. So it, like, eventually you can get a lot of salt at once, but it is pretty frustrating to lose a ton of salt. I, that, and it happened to me a couple of times, but none more memorably than that 45k. I think the most I've ever lost was around 14,000 in the dome because of a long fall. Because I usually when I get to a, a point where I can reach another level, I just teleport right back to the sanctuary. So I, I didn't, I usually, I'm usually able to hold on to a lot of the salt. But um, yeah, like normally right after a boss, I just teleport back. I, I started co almost compulsively teleporting back after Smart getting a, a, a large amount of salt a after I lost it that, that one time. I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember where it was. I think it might have been the dome, uh, but I, I don't exactly remember because again, we're recording this in, uh, in, in mid-March, but I, uh, I, I beat the game sort of earlier than I thought I would. I, uh, because I, spoiler, I didn't complete the game. I just watched a playthrough on YouTube, so I would be familiar with everything that we were talking about and like later areas and things like that. Um, and some of the later areas were, whew, uh, did made me not regret quitting. Let's put it that way. Yeah, geez, the, the second half of the ziggurat and uh, the area called the Pitch Woods, which has some really challenging disappearing platform stuff. It's like reminding me of Heat Man stage in Mega Man 2. Mm -hmm. um, even the earlier stages, like the stupid uh the uh the watching woods oh yeah mm -hmm. uh the, the platforming the platforming there and in the area uh the, the i think it's called the um is, is it the 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 stench mire or something the mire right stench yeah 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 the, the platforming in there and the woods got really hairy sometimes i think the, the the pitch woods which is i'm pretty sure is an optional area had it the worst that was my breaking point the mire of stench i got i yeah. i got through the mire of stench i beat the disemboweled husk but that was the moment where i was like i'm done but I was keeping playing because we're playing it for the podcast. Uh, and I got to the mire of stench and I got through most of the mire of stench. And then I got to just before the boss where you have to uh, do some wall jumps there. And there is a platform in the middle of one of the wall jump sections. And I just wasn't paying attention and stood on the platform and the platform fell and I fell and I died. Oh yeah. One of the, one of the crumbling platforms. Yeah. Yeah. The pl crumbling platforms. And I, that was the moment where I was just like, I don't think I'm, doing this anymore um but that was uh yeah the mire of stench platforming in there is oof, it's tough the, the boss of the miring of the of the mire of stench isn't bad a it's stench it, most foul yeah it, it does a lot of poison damage but if you have some poison and it's but it's really slow i thought the the uh the disemboweled husk was way harder than the than the stench most foul. yeah the the, ba the bosses i feel are balanced differently for different classes probably like for example i mentioned like i plowed through the false jester i don't know what it would have been like if i was another class but there's a chance that the false jester might actually be really challenging to like a magic class for example i don't know i'm just curious now if is there platforming in the souls games in the dark souls games some i think maybe a little bit not, not there's definitely uh long fall damage but oh. it, it's less platforming and, and and more like you're going up a you're you're going up a bridge or a uh, or a staircase at the side of a tower, and uh, an enemy that has a lot of 
that if your poise is low, an enemy can, an enemy below can knock you off the the staircase, yeah. kind of thing. It's it's less precision platforming and more sort of adventure environmental stuff. Yeah, the platforming in this got me a little worried, though. I haven't even gotten to the the mire area yet. I didn't like that stupid elevator in the Red Hall of Cages because it was so fast and I missed it every time. <laughs> <laughs> or when you uh, when you're running towards the the elevator shaft and you're not paying attention and you just go through a door and oh. then fall down the elevator shaft because there's no there's no ledge. Yep. Or you uh, you, you do a, a bit of a long drop and you land and you still survive, but you're maybe down to a quarter health. And then one step later, you step on a trap, and one of those ba- one of those um, swinging battering rams kills you. Oh yeah! And the, the, you can see the switches where the swinging battering rams are. Yeah. But I I usually got hit by one first before ever mm-hmm. managing to avoid one again because again the, the the game is so dimly lit that mm-hmm. it's, it's it's hard to see things like like environmental switches. It looks like there's a lot of junk on the ground in some of those indoor areas. Yeah, and also I feel like each area very very similar to the bosses. It, you're expected to learn. You're expected to learn the area and learn, oh, there's a trap there. And it's basically get muscle memory. So you're not even looking for the trap. You just know it's there. So you jump over it. I, I did, I, like in some places I did. Um, and there are other places that you can use traps to your advantage. Like uh, at the very beginning of the uh, Village of Smiles, where you can, there's that trap, which I got hit by the very first time, but you can use it to kill the, uh, the knight right past it. It's a game of learning and information, which is... Uh, which is also uh, attributed to all of the Souls games very heavily, mm. but uh, but if, if you if you feel like you can't make it past an obstacle, the game is so bleak and so unforgiving that it, it you really do feel despair if you're if you're hitting a breaking point or close to a breaking point. I never hit that breaking point. I was frustrated a lot, but then I would I would do something like look up a boss and say, and realize that oh it's 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 much weaker against slash damage and then approach it slightly differently and, and would win. And, and, uh, eventually my, my, uh, my, my two handed, uh, uh, hammer and scissors build was dealing so much damage at times that I, again, I, I killed a lot of bosses in the second half of the game on the first attempt just by, again, use your boost item at the beginning, look at their attack patterns, roll through them, get one hit in a roll through. If your stamina is low, run away a little bit. And, and I, I mostly got through the game pretty well. I, I beat the last boss on the first attempt, but the boss right before it, uh, or maybe two bosses before it, the one that's that's uh, it, uh, the one that looks like a giant Cthulhu. Who I, I forget. Kraken or Kraken Dragon, Skuza Maybe, maybe I, that, that that sounds right. I, th- I think I, I died against that right one. Now. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely didn't kill that one on the first try, but I, I killed the nameless god at the end of the first try. Oh, again, the name was. Let's go into the story a little bit. Eventually, by talking to these NPCs and also a scarecrow that's taunting you and saying very threatening, ominous things to you, uh, you realize that that the, you're not really on an island. Where you are is a bizarre sanctuary at the bottom of the ocean. Which is uh, and uh, that is run by a god called the Nameless God, and the god sort of embodies all of the sea monsters and superstitions of the deep that uh, that sailors in the past attributed to sea monsters or krakens, which is why a lot of enemies have the kraken name in them. And the Nameless God takes take uh, steals ships and um and and add, and and populates its uh, sanctuary with uh with with um shipwrecked sailors, and also if certain uh. If certain parts of the world have become lost or forgotten, he will steal them and pa- and like stitch them into his pack patchwork of environments, which is which is why things like the 
the dome and the ziggurat and Hagar's cavern being known to history and not near each other in history, but somehow stolen and brought together in this, in the nameless God's domain. Um, and then, and basically when you kill the nameless God, if you've talked to the scarecrow throughout the game, you can either become the new nameless God and rule over, uh, the Island or you, uh, or if you didn't do that, or if you choose not to, uh, not to steal the nameless God's powers, you can um, you can finally resurface and get uh, and get back and escape the island. So the the two endings are rule over the island or escape the island. But the as a concept, it's really cool. Um, but you don't you barely get any of that story unless you seek out every NPC and read a lot of item and skill descriptions. But like uh, the, the Hagar's Cavern and the disemboweled husk is about an ancient pirate named uh, named Captain Hagar who was eventually betrayed by his own um, by his own men for hold for, for hold, hoarding treasure against them and after his uh, stomach was cut and was left to die uh, a, a a haunted doll that was uh, that was among the treasure he surrounded himself with crawled into Hagar's body and has been manipulating him by, as a hollowed out puppet from within. <laughs> and if, if you're fighting, if you're fighting uh, the disemboweled husk, you might not notice the tiny figure in the middle of its stomach because you're, you're desperate to avoid its, its, uh, its cannon attacks. But if you, if you, uh, if you, I think, I think what you have to do is you have to um, create, uh, you have to alchemize a weapon or armor a- after him and then look at the description of the weapon and uh, and and read his bestiary description to realize about the whole story of Captain Hagar. And that's where a lot of the lore is buried in this game. And a lot of it's cool. And the, like again, the story ideas are cool. The uh, character interactions are cool. There's just not a lot of them, and you really have to dig down to find all of them. So if you're someone who really values dialogue or story... And and you're running into gameplay walls like like uh like like Jono famously did at the disemboweled husk. This game, yeah, this game can seem just completely bleak and empty. Uh, there's not a lot of story hooks and not a lot of gameplay hooks. Uh, sort of until uh, until you enjoy the gameplay and exploration enough to keep going. And I I, I did get there partially, but even though I didn't love this game, I, I liked a lot of what it was doing and and eventually did just like swinging around my giant anchor and killing a lot of things. Uh, but it, I, I think I really needed to do some side research and make gameplay decisions informed by that side research in order to get there. And this is a unforgiving, bleak game that makes me not sure if I want to play every Souls game or never play another one again. So I actually really like the lore and the aesthetic, but yeah, I agree. I didn't really like that it was hidden in the notes and the skill trees and stuff like that. I yeah, wish they integrated it better into exploration. Like a Castlevania game gives me cutscenes yeah. and has a, a lot of forward momentum with the story. And there's always, and it has a cool map and cool boss fights, but they, they, there are way more story hooks in a Castlevania game or even most of the Metroid games than in, than in Salt and Sanctuary. And I, I think I would like this game a lot more if A, they gave you a world map, B, they made the story a little bit more on the surface and less buried, and thirdly, just maybe explain some of its own stats and mechanics a little better. And also if they made it easier to undo skill points, because you can undo skill points by finding items called gra- uh, Gray Pearls, but they're very uncommon items. Like if, if someone has, stumbles into a bad build, it's probably easier to restart the game than to undo your skill points. And I, I wish they had made undoing skill points easier. Yeah, and I mean, the, the I was about to say the nice thing, but that's that's not quite true. 
uh, about this game is if you know what you're doing and you know the boss patterns, it's not really that long a game. You can restart it. In fact, the game is, I think the game is designed for replayability because it's so challenging, because it's so hard uh, and learning the boss patterns and things like that. Restarting a game with a new game plus or trying out a new class or trying out a new a new uh, set of abilities and, and weapons uh, is, I imagine, part of the appeal of this game um, is coming back and trying new things. I, I Again, I played through the game without using a single prayer or magic spell. And I think replaying the game as a mage class or as a cleric class is at least interesting. You get a very different experience. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, largely, I enjoyed this game. Largely, Jono did not enjoy this game. And I, and I and Tina, but without putting words in your mouth, I, I think you probably fall in between Jono and I. Yeah, like I enjoyed it. Though I'm not very good at it, but I still want to keep at it. Like I, jo- I enjoyed it enough that I want to still keep playing. Would rather have a molar extracted than have to play this game more. And the game's not brutally long. I get, my final playtime was 19 hours, and I uh, uh, and I did a tiny bit of grinding to finish upgrading my anchor and my hammer. Um, and I uh, and I probably was slightly over leveled. I was exactly level 100 when I beat the game, and I I don't think there's a limit to how level, how much you can level. It's just it costs more salt every time. Yeah, I think it's about 500 something. Oh geez, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I when I when I got to level 100, I ha- I was able to get my endurance high enough that I I my my encumbrance is right at 25. percent I'm like, yeah, this is probably fine for now. I'll spend the rest of my salt trying to get weird weapons. Um, but. Actually, my I didn't upgrade this weapon very much, but my favorite boss fight weapon combination was <laughs> one of the bosses in the in the ruined temple is called the Coveted, and it's a giant stone axe. And then there's two ghosts, and one ghost uh, grabs the axe and attacks you, while the other ghost shoots fireballs at you. And uh, if you and the, the target is the axe, not the ghost. You have to attack the axe, and when the health bar gets a little bit further down, one ghost gets knocked away, gets knocked away, and the other ghost grabs the axe. And it's like the two ghosts are sort of fighting over the axe and trying to kill you, the intruder, with it. <laughs> and uh, and and when you kill, when you defeat it, you get an item called the Coveted Ashes, and you can use the Coveted Ashes and alchemize it with another axe to to wield the very axe that you just defeated in battle. <laughs> Like like that kind of interaction is great to me. Like uh, like uh, uh, an interesting boss fight design that gives you a reward that increases that sort of deepens the lore of the game and is, and is like a, and also it's a really strong axe that you can equip. But I, I just didn't upgrade it all the way. Mm. I like like interactions like that. I really really liked and maybe want to play more of this game. But by the end, it, I was I was basically just sort of ready to beat it because again it it has weird frustrations in uh, in uh, any enemy design and no world and no uh world map that i like i don't think i want to replay this game but i i mostly enjoyed it and i bought the dark souls collection a week or two ago to reflect that because and now i'm worried if i'm gonna fall into a dark souls hole in 2022 oh you know what was one thing i really didn't like you couldn't pause the game mm. so if i needed yeah. to leave for any reason or there was a phone call or something i had to pr- find a safe area and hope it was actually safe and something wouldn't crawl out at me yeah you, you had to go back to a sanctuary use one of those use one of those return bells to get yeah. back to a sanctuary because when you there is a menu that, that where you, we use items and change armor yeah. and stuff but that doesn't stop the action around you no <laughs> it's funny that you said that about uh you buying the three dark souls game uh games after you completed this because uh after I finished playing, actually, my uh, my backlog list was three games shorter. So, <laughs> oh no, 
I, uh, I have a free copy of Bloodborne through PS Plus, and I was given Demon Souls as a gift uh, last year. And but but playing this game made me made me just search around for a little bit, and I found the the collection of Dark Souls one, two, three on sale for thirty five bucks. I'm like, all right, oh, that's a no brainer. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pick that up just in case I want to try these later. So I have a lot of souls in front of me. And Elden Ring's made a giant splash, so that makes, that makes me interested in that as well, of course. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I, I realize that, oh, Dark Souls is like Castlevania ideas with Monster Hunter boss fights. Maybe I might like this. You when, might when just, I, yeah. When, yeah, when I had resisted playing them for, a, let's say, right around a decade, <laughs> uh, d- despite um, a lot of... Uh, chirping from rob steinman among others but uh yeah all, all three of us reacted very differently to this game Jono wants nothing to do with souls i am considering starting a new souls career and tina's still plugging away at salt and sanctuary um like, like salt and sacrifice this game's sequel is coming soon uh what ideas do we have for it to maybe improve upon this experience other than adding a world map because i think that's a given keep it as far away from me as humanly possible <laughs> Something I noticed about it, it looks like they really changed the graphic style for the sequel. Like, it looks more colorful, and I don't know if that would maybe help the contrast. I don't know if you've seen the, the trailers yet. I, I, I've seen some images. I haven't really watched the trailer, but if it makes uh, it, details and enemies more uh, discernible, then I, I think that would be a major improvement. That, sound, that sounds good. Yeah, like, it doesn't look quite as bleak and, like, gray but and i kind of did like that but maybe it would help in other ways that that sounds like a great change to me the other one i I already mentioned this but if they made um undoing choices in the skill tree a little easier i think that would be really helpful because i i didn't have to do that a lot but um again i didn't realize exactly the build i wanted until a part way through the game and if i could if i could make adjustments like that to make it a little bit easier on myself I, i wish that was possible but mostly i want that world map i i can be a serial map checker sometimes like yeah. again every every time i play a yakuza or judgment game i am checking that map for the where i'm supposed to go next all the time like i i i i want and again i am literally a map making professional who with a career in gis so i like <laughs> i like me a digital map now and then um so yeah uh maps color contrast uh maybe keeping this game as far as humanly possible away from jonathan logan those are all improvements <laughs> that we recommend for salt and sacrifice and uh Jono, i will be gifting you a copy of it and steam in the next calendar year oh thank you that is yeah, uh you're welcome. That is going to be very much appreciated. I will immediately hide it and pretend it's not there. I am a generous spirit, if nothing else. Yeah, it's, I got to be honest. The idea of not playing Souls-like, I do still want to play Dark Souls. And Elden Ring just looks irresistible almost based on the amount of uh, the rave reviews it's been getting. And it's not, we'll get into this in a second. I don't know if it's Souls. I think it might just be this game. Because I like tough as nails platformers, especially tough as nails uh, Metroidvanias. I adore Hollow Knight. Uh, which has, again, many Souls-like uh, conventions, including the when you die, you have to go back to where you died and and fight like a little version of yourself to get back all of your uh, stuff. I Tough as nails bosses like, uh, oh gosh, what's the uh, what's the name of the game? Uh, Quick interjection, I have not played Hollow Knight, although many people have recommended it to me. Does it have a map? Uh, the map system is really, really interesting because... At first, it's, there's no map. Um, you have to find a, a cartographer on each uh, in each area who is oh, okay. mapping out the uh, the nest, and then he only gives you a partially completed map. And then your map isn't auto completed as you travel. You need to go to a save point, and then when you sit down at a save point, 
uh, your main character jots down the notes that he has taken on the map. So that's kind of how you uh, get it. So it's a map, but it's not super detailed like it is in uh, in a, a classic Metroidvania. So it's kind of like a happy compromise between this and uh, and the map system. Oh, I, I, I don't mind that at all. As long as there is a button I can press that shows me a partial map that can grow as I explore. That is that is something I want. It has so it does have a map system, and sorry, I'm still trying to remember that bloody game. It's a it's rogue rogue uh, rogue legacy. Oh yeah, rogue legacy has like tough as nail bosses that are you have to learn patterns. So again, it's not that. I think it might just be this game. Um, there's there was something about this game that had a dramatic effect on my uh, mental health. Um, which I don't think any game, I can't remember another game ever having this level of uh, an impact on how I felt in a negative way, uh, which is why I had to stop playing it. I didn't stop playing it because I was uh, stuck, because I wasn't. Uh, I didn't stop playing it because I was uh, not I, I was not having, a, well, I mean, I wasn't having a great time, but that's that's not it. The reason why is because after every single time I would, play this game i had an involuntary thought and i i mean you're gonna need a thing it was this game and it was it almost became like a a a mantra in the back of my brain that would just like trigger every time i died or fell or something it was the opposite of enjoyment um and i think i've done a lot of thinking over the last couple of weeks as to why and i don't really have an answer as to why but there's something about the overall uh, aesthetic, the the darkness of it, the sense of hopelessness that uh, is pervasive in this world, uh, the constantly dying. There was something about it that genuinely was wearing away at how I felt. And eventually it just became a choice of, do I want to keep pushing through and making myself feel worse and worse? Or do I want to stop and and hopefully feel better in a few days. And that's the choice I made. I've never actually stopped playing a game before because of my mental health. But like Amanda, my partner was literally like, you need to stop playing this game. I've never seen you like this. You need to stop. And eventually I just listened to her. So yeah, I, uh, I hated this game. I hate everything about it. Um, and that's not to say that I don't feel strongly that there are not redeeming factors about this game. Cause there are so many, because as much as I hate the art style, I'm looking at it's it's like you go to an art gallery and you see a work of art and your immediately response is Ugh, I hate that. But that's not saying that it's a bad work of art. That's just saying that it's uh, you've had an emotional response to a piece of art and it might not be positive. And in my case, yeah, this is a piece of art and it is not for me in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, OK, I hope this isn't too uh, too broad a comment, but I think that that art what is art? An art is something that make is something that is designed to make you think something or feel something. Mm-hmm. And and Sultan Sanctuary is a downer of a game. The uh, the designs are deliberately grotesque or maybe even repulsive. The uh, the tone of the game is bleak and e- maybe even depressing. And uh, and the gameplay choices that uh, the player makes and the probably very very re- recurring deaths that the player experience experiences can be incredibly demoralizing and i think maybe i i mean jono you and i are different people that's a big a big comment i know and it might be because i'm very achievement oriented and wanted to finish this game and i don't i don't make as many emotional connections to games 
as a lot of other people do. And I, I, know, that, I know that's true of me compared to uh, just a few of my friends that I've talked about games a lot with. I, I was probably less affected by the dark parts of this game and more motivated to just finish the damn thing than you were. And I, I, I don't mean that as a disparaging comment. Oh, it's, it's not, it's just, but I, I don't yeah, know if I, but, I don't know if I agree with you because let's take another game series that you and I both adore on uh, every level. Yakuza. I am the kind of person that I, I've beaten every, uh, Amon fight in every single Yakuza. <laughs> and it, that is, that is grinding your teeth levels of dark souls, uh, Sultan Sanctuary-esque, just unfair bosses, but like intentionally unfair bosses. Um, and it's super, super hard. And I do that because I get that sense of achievement out of those games. There's just something about this one. I don't know. Again, you and I are different people. I've yeah. beaten one Amon fight. It probably doesn't even count because it was Haruka's Amon fight. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a, no, that was a throwdown though. That was a throwdown. <laughs> it's pretty good. But I, I also really like rhythm games. So like, like I, I don't think I ever lost a single Haruka battle the entire the entire in the entirety of yakuza 5 gotta want an the, entire game of that but anyway right <laughs> i wouldn't mind it but uh, but anyway um but i for a yakuza game i never ever go get close to 100 percent completion i get to like 60 percent completion i beat the game and then i'm ready to move on to the next one is mm-hmm. it, it, it again we're, we're just we're, we're built differently but yeah. but Salt the sanctuary is is bleak and depressing and uh, and gross and unforgiving and a lot of things that are definitely turnoffs to a lot of people. I didn't always like it, but I thought it, it at least was at least was fun and cool sometimes. Yeah, uh, and and that makes me and and with the idea that oh, this is a not bad but slightly inferior replication of what makes Dark Souls great made me more interested in Dark Souls because it's because it, it, again the. Uh, the um, combining factors of me mostly liking Salt and Sanctuary and feeling the con- its connections to Castlevania and Monster Hunter made me like, oh, geez, maybe I maybe I should play a Dark Souls game. And I truly think that this game, I'm not going to replay Salt and Sanctuary, but I think I will <laughs> officially join uh, j- join the Souls world later this year. I mean, that is the end result of this. I'm eventually going to become one of those Souls jerks on Twitter that just tells you to get good. I think I kind of feel the same. I have a copy of Bloodborne that someone gave me for my birthday like a decade oh, all ago. Right. Yeah. I have, um, I think, the first Dark Souls on Steam. I haven't touched them because I be I was so afraid that, okay, I wouldn't even last 10 minutes, but I kind of really want to now. Yeah, again, now that we have an idea of what the pace of one of those is, and then it's about o- overcoming and not just about losing, that makes me more interested in those games. And then yeah. now that I've felt one for myself, even though... And, and and if a real Dark Souls game is better than this fake Dark Souls game, I'm I'm more uh, I, that makes me more you know interested in trying it. But if we're uh, if we're talking about what is art and what is a real Souls game, it, it might be time to end the episode. <laughs> that is probably um, an episode of Retro Encounter. Yeah, I, I think it is. <laughs> um, but uh, listeners, thank you so much for to listen to us sharing our suffering through Salt and Sanctuary. Um, that uh, that each of us experienced very differently, but uh, but ultimately enough to at least have a good discussion about it. Um, uh, again, I think I I am the most likely of the three of us to to pre-order Salt and Sacrifice, and Jano is the least likely. But that doesn't mean any of us are right or wrong about about these feelings. This is a this is one of our more divisive discussions we've ever had on Retro Encounter, but uh, but I hope, listener, you are at least uh, at least somewhat intrigued or entertained um and thank you so much tina and jono for sharing uh 
for agreeing to play this game, even though I and I have to, I feel like I have to apologize to Jono a little bit for indirectly making you play this game. I'll tell you, talking about this game was a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, even if we lost hours of our lives and felt mental and emotional pain from playing this game, at at least we at least we had a discussion. You want to know what I went on when I was in my mid twenties with my then partner? I went on the worst camping trip I've ever gone on. It was a nightmare. Everything went wrong. We were in the middle of a swamp. Uh, I knocked my shoulder out. I had to like, and we were still rowing the canoe and everything. It was a nightmare. And I love telling stories about that trip to this day. Totally worth it. So maybe this will end up being that kind of thing. Yeah, maybe Sultan Sanctuary is an ex that you're glad you finally broke up with. But uh, listeners, we are somewhat thrilled to be done with Sultan Sanctuary, but let's talk about the future of Retro Encounter. And uh, maybe this isn't exactly what you're expecting right now, um, because normally this is the part of the podcast where I talk about the next game we're playing, and with the next two or three episodes will be like, but that's not exactly going to happen. Um, this will be the last episode of Retro Encounter for maybe at least a few months. Um, for the first time since 2015, and when we started this episode, we are going on a hiatus. Um, I am feeling a lot of burnout from running a weekly podcast that is not my real job for five years and contributing uh, uh, for an additional two years before that. And I, I think I want a break. So I am um, I am going to be taking a leave of absence from RPG Fan and Retro Encounter for, I don't know exactly how long, my, my guess is two months, but I, I don't hold me to that, please. Um, so this is not the end of Retro Encounter, but this is Retro Encounter's first long break in a long time. And Jono, you officially have my permission to, uh, if you want to record a Retro Encounter episode, that doesn't fit perfectly with uh, random encounter or rhythm encounter. You uh, feel free to do so. Um, send me a text about it or something. It's going to be nothing but Star Trek episodes, Mike. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm not against it as as long as I as long as I am allowed to take a break and not and not record or edit episodes for a little while. <laughs> but uh, I, I will still be around. You, uh, listeners, you can find me on social media at the usual places. I'm not I'm not disappearing off the face of the earth. I am just stepping away from Retro Encounter for a little bit for mental and emotional health reasons, um, similar to how Jono is permanently stepping away from Salt and Sanctuary. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, the, the Final Fantasy thirteen episodes that we teased uh, a while ago will happen eventually, but not in April like we first promised. I don't, I don't know exactly when we will do those, but Final Fantasy thirteen will happen later in Retro Encounter. Um, the game we were planning on doing after FF13 was Suikoden 1. And I can also promise that will happen later this year, but I don't know when. So please look forward to Final Fantasy XIII and Suikoden 1 episodes of Retro Encounter after we take a bit of a break. But uh, I will still check the email for Retro Encounter. You can email us at retro at rpgfan.com if you have any questions about the podcast or well wishes for me to you know, step away from the podcast so I can finally play Judgment and Hollow Knight is the uh, part of the short-term goals there. You can also comment on rpgfan.com's message boards, visit our Facebook page, check out our Discord, our YouTube, our Twitch, or uh, any of those places, we are RPG Fan or RPG Fan Com. Uh, RPG Fan is the home to three other fabulous podcasts, starting with Random Encounter every two weeks, hosted by you, Jono. Yep, we just did a Final Fantasy rema- uh, Pixel Remaster episode, and that was a blast talking about you know those games because who doesn't love talking about Final Fantasy four, five, and six? Oh yeah, that was a very positively toned episode, and I'm uh, I, I was thrilled to hear Audra experience FF6 for the first time. I know, wasn't it so great? That that, that was pretty great. Uh, There's also Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks, uh, hosted mostly by Mike Salvato, mostly about RPG music, and uh, um, always a great listen. 
we also have our partner podcast, Phoenix Edge, which is currently on hiatus, slightly, maybe slightly longer hiatus than the one I'm planning. But uh, they, their episodes are mostly focused on current events within RPGs, and uh, they mostly record their episodes live on their YouTube channel. So please follow all three of those podcasts, as well as Retro Encounter, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, however you listen to, to and follow podcasts. Um, please follow all of us and leave us feedback because we love feedback. And speaking of us loving feedback, how can you give us specific feedback as panelists and not as a website or a podcast? Um, that's my long-winded way of saying let's share our social media, starting with you, Tina. Okay, you can find me on kittensoft39 on Twitter. I mostly post about games and occasionally some of my art. Tina, you sound great for someone that was born in 1939. Just saying. Throwing that out there. That, 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 that has pegged at, what, around uh, 63. No, no, 83. That, that, you're sounding great for 83, Tina. Uh, sorry if that joke fell a little flat. Uh, so, so, so Jono, how can listeners find you? Uh, after playing Salt and Sanctuary, I feel like I'm 83. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at Jono underscore Logan on Twitter, or you can send me an email at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or if you have something for random encounter, you can fire a message to podcast at rpgfan.com. Excellent. And listeners, if you want to find me, um, while I'm not going to be podcasting for a little while, I will still be uh, posting about video games on social media a lot. Uh, On Twitter, I'm at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, uh, I don't know how long it'll be before I can say this again, but... uh, Sincerely, especially to everyone that's uh, that's uh, wished me well while I was experiencing some burnout publicly. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, and good luck. Mm-hmm.